Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. Todd Buckingham here, joined by Zach Dosh and Greg Steeman. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to another episode. Good evening, fellas. Good to so, be here. So we'll start out, I, I wanted to start out talking schedules a little bit today. Um, I And actually, I think we, we know a little bit more about some teams, but then as we look at the schedules, we might know a little bit uh, less than we thought. So going off of strength of schedule rankings right now, the Summit League has seven teams in the top 50 in strength of schedule, and then three teams that are pretty low. It's Denver really low at 360. I can't remember how many teams there are, but it's 360-something now at this point. And then North Dakota at 258 and St. Thomas at uh, 203. That That's probably why we know – a little less than we'd like to know about the teams right now. Anything else that jumps out at you guys with the strength of schedule for the Summit League? Well, I think you make a good point, Todd. It, and it, and I, I thought about this tonight because you you had sent out some information and, and, and you and Zach and I had all kind of communicated a little bit earlier today about this. And and, and I, I, I thought to myself, I go, you know what? The, the Summit League's still going to be one bid league for a while. How long, I don't know. And I know uh, the new commissioner is working to say, hey, what can we do to make it a multi-bid league? And what you do see is diverging um, approaches by the, co- by, by, the, by the coaches and the staffs. And, and they, have to, they have to, you know, plan these schedules well in advance. You know, not, 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 not like college football, but, you know, for the most part, it's a year and, and up until maybe the last three or four months until they can kind of finalize schedules. But I, you know, in a, in a single bid league, you look at the different manners in which you put schedules together. And in, in some cases uh, it comes down to how do we, how do we put some money in our pocket? How do we get the most buy games we can, you know, and regardless of what the results are, that leads to a strong strength of schedule in some cases. And in other cases, you look at, how do we build confidence? How, how do we grow as a team? How do we grow as a program? And how do we, how do we kind of come into the Summit League with some confidence under our belt? And when you look at Denver, they're 6-1 and one right now, but they have the, the weakest strength of schedule of anybody in the league. But if you go back and ask their fans, you know, hey, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a good record or would you have the re- rather have a, uh, you know, a strong strength of schedule and a mediocre record? Or, or a poor record. I just I just think it comes down to each coach individually, how they view their team. I think it comes down to each program as to how they're building towards playing their best basketball when when the summer league schedule hits. And so I think I think what we see in the summer league today is a perfect example of we don't know much more than what we knew four weeks ago as to who the best teams in the league are. Um, uh, I mean, South Dakota State, ORU, yes, they're good. And uh, North Dakota State still finding themselves. Denver, are they worthy of a top five spot? We'll see what happens. But I think the numbers kind of contribute to um, this is what single bid leagues do. You know, they, they choose one path or the other. Which one is best? I guess we'll find out over the course of this season. 
I think the, the main thing that they're going for, like you said, Greg, this is not <clears throat> necessarily to try to bump up your um, strength of schedule for your net rankings for a second bid. That's not what this is. I think, you know, in, in talking with Coach Mills, he actually did a pretty good job of sort of explaining the ins and outs of a lot of this, um, which is why you kind of see them structuring the schedule the way they are. It It's for if you do get the bid, if you do win the conference to try to stay off that, you know, play in game 16 seed, maybe even 15 seed line. So if you do, you're able to get, you know, uh, you know, maybe a 14 seed, avoid those, you know, teams that are people projecting to go to the final four, things like that. And, you know, um, that's all well and good. Uh, but ideally you win some of these. And so like that, it, it can really backfire because like literally, I mean, Oral Roberts can go into conference season with very little to show for the non-conference schedule, except for a couple of checks, um, unless they win some of these. If they win some of them, then it, then it's like wow, and then it's great. So it, it's it's really high risk, high reward. Um, and you know they have the team to do that though. You know they have the team that okay, let's say they go, uh, you know maybe only win one or two games, uh, Division One games here before the conference season. Like I don't think that's really gonna I mean, it's really not ideal, but they're they're going to be okay. I, I still think that they're going to once the conference season rolls around that they're going to be just fine. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a gamble. Uh, I you know th- their their approach is 100% math based, and you're right, Greg. They're not every team is like that, you know. And my guess is these rankings um, that we're seeing a great disparity of our rankings as of right now, and so. It could just be that, you know, particularly, you know, for example, NDSU, they've played uh, quite a few pay games, quite a few high level games at this point. And, um, you know, I, I think the back half of their schedule maybe maybe gets a, a tad softer. And so, uh, you know, like I, I mean, even UND and, and, and St. Thomas, whose ranking is, is, is strength schedule is relatively low. I mean, they've still played a top 10 team in Creighton, both those teams. And now UND goes off to play. Uh, like uh, Iowa State, uh, Portland, who just beat Villanova, and some other of these teams. And so it's it's definitely going to stiffen up as well. So, you know, I think we should check back in and look at this at the end of the conference, at the end of the non-conference season, because that'll give us probably a little bit more complete picture of these teams' schedules. But, you know, we'll see. You know, uh, like, like you said, Greg, some of these teams just fundamentally need to learn how to win. And they're trying to do it on the fly, and they're trying to do it while paying some bills. And so – um, there's a, a, a method to the madness. There are things that these schools are trying to accomplish and all of them are a little different. So, you know, it's not to say that anything is good or bad. It's just, um, it's something to note. And, uh, I think what's, what's really interesting is we, we kind of, I kind of got another education in this whole process this weekend. Um, you know, so UND had their own little MTE up there. Uh, and it, 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 it was just three teams saying, Hey, let's just meet at the same place. And then, get two good like level games uh, with Cal state Fullerton and, and Utah tech. And they, they did this, you know, really as a, a budgetary thing uh, because it, it helps save some money yeah, because, you know, all these schools are kind of in the same place budgetarily, uh, especially Utah tech making the transition to division one. And it's, it, he, they, they talked a lot about like, Hey, we're in a conference with like grand Valley. And the difference between Utah Tech and Grand Valley's budget is as wide, or I'm, I'm sorry, Grand Canyon is as wide as the Grand Canyon. Um, the Grand Canyon can afford to bring a lot of teams in. They can afford to pay. They can afford to travel. They can afford to do things 
at a different level than Utah Tech can. And so uh, they have to find ways to make it up. And it's it does put teams at a tremendous disadvantage. And this is kind of going off, the, you know, on a tangent here. But like you look at the travel, I mean, it's just a suicide schedule that some of these teams have to play just to pay their their bills and um, get any type of schedule together. And what a lot of these teams are getting more and more concerned about, I know the Montana state coach really talked to me about this a lot is like, how do we make sure that we're not going to end up in the conference season with a bunch of injuries? Um, How do we make sure we're incorporating enough rest, you know, with trying to make a little progress during practice too. So uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's fascinating scheduling and just putting it all together is way more complicated than I ever expected. Um, and we should, we should probably be talking about it a little bit more, um, cause it's really, really interesting. And it's kind of at the heart of what all these programs can do and, and, uh, combined with how they're supported by their university, which can vary greatly from job to job more than most people think. Well, and one thing that is really interesting, Oral Roberts plays four non D one yeah. opponents. Yet their strength of schedule, because the non-D1s don't count. I don't know how many non-D1s you can play and get victories and yeah. it count towards your victory total. I know in uh, in Division One football, there's only a certain amount of FCS opponents you can play. I would assume it's something similar to that. But uh, their, their, their Ken Palm rating, which probably will somewhat mirror the net rating, is the lowest in the conference. Um, their, their strength of schedule is 10th in the nation because they're playing um, good division one opponents outside of the non D ones. It's just a fascinating thing. And, and like you said, Zach coach Mills talked a lot about this They're They go after the math. And I do think there's something to be said for those teams that feel like they're going to be top in the conference or towards the top mm-hmm. to get that net rating as close to a hundred as they can. So you can get a 12, 13, 14 seed, something like that. Yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting because you're right. Those those Division two games don't uh, count. You have to have the budget to bring these schools in, though. Like, there's a lot of schools that can't really That's afford true. to pay for. I mean, this is these are technically pay games for the Division two schools, and so like the fact that Oral Roberts can afford that, I think, is pretty interesting. And scheduling so many Division two schools like they are, it, their schools actually probably weaker. Like their record is going to be softer than everyone else's, even though their actual strength of schedule per net rankings is going to be harder, if that makes any sense. Oh, because Division two games don't count. And so it's it's kind of a I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I get what they're doing. You know, uh, reasonable people can 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 disagree. And that doesn't mean that anybody's wrong. But it's important to point that out and note it so that everybody has kind of an understanding of like, wow, why is Kansas City playing this schedule? Why is. Oral Roberts playing the schedule. Why is Unity playing the schedule? Oh, this team has courage to go play teams. This team doesn't or whatever. It's like, well, it's not exactly it. There's a lot of economics at play here. There are. And and I think, um, you know, when we look at it, as the Summit League continues to be a single bid league, we see a a, a wide, wide variance of approaches. And I think it's interesting. I think we learn a little bit from all of everybody's approach. And, you know, you look at, uh, University of Denver, where they're saying, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to play similar level teams and, and their strength of schedule is low, but they've got a 6-1 and one record right now. And they're also doing it. Tevin Smith injuring 
injury injured, excuse me. Um, I hope it's not serious. I really hope it's not because he's so important to, I think the summer league uh, in, in general, but more specifically to Denver's potential success throughout the summer league season. Um, I, I hope he's going to be okay. I hope he gets back soon, but I, I just think it's a, it's a wide variance. Um, you know, and, and, and Zach, you know this, I mean, you do UND games. I think UND needed to have a schedule like this to gain some confidence, to gain some, uh, level of of uh, uh it, it, i don't know impact when it comes to listen we're doing things the right way we're finding ways to win games and we can take we can take this into the summer league schedule we can translate it into a certain level of success i think different teams are looking at it differently kansas city has found ways to beat teams that they shouldn't and lose to teams that they they certainly shouldn't either um but i think all of this will get ironed out very soon in the next two weeks we see where everybody ends up pre-conference, and then we head into the summer league schedule. We'll have an idea of where teams are at, and to be honest with you, I, I will. I, I honestly think that a lot of our picks are going to be accurate when it comes to the top half of the league and the bottom half of the league. But uh, there are some teams that have been impressive in, in some ways that that maybe we didn't anticipate. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch it all play out. Yeah, I think at the end of the day. The schedule that UND played and the schedule that Oral Roberts plays is going to put both of those teams right on track for where they want to be going into the conference season. And that's a great example of it's not necessarily what the schedule should be. It's what do the teams need? Yeah. Well, and Zach, that's another example. When we talk about that, these conferences need to come together and, and put something together it's not as simple as we make it out to be because you've got 10 different schools, 10 different coaches with specific plans for how they want to schedule and how they want it to work. And so while I think something like that can be really helpful, it's not as simple as we make it out to be either. Well, but it's got to start somewhere. And I think we need to start the Reaching the Summit podcast, MTE, um, at the Bismarck Civic Center. Maybe we can get talked into Sioux Falls, but, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, start putting it together. I'll tell you what, you know who would not be against it? The coaches. <laughs> they would they would love an idea right. where they could get together and play a couple games. I mean, we who just went somebody just went to Canada to play a couple games or uh, yeah, Montana State. They had to go to Canada to play huh. a couple teams. You know, not getting a check or anything, but just to get some like like level games. It's just <laughs> yeah, or Grand Forks. I mean, Cal State Fullerton came up to Grand Forks to play two games, like level games. That's what they had to do. They're happy did, to do. As did Utah Tech. Yeah. 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 And I just think it's it's right there in front of them. If they can get it together, four conferences get together, four non-conference games a year, two at home, two away, plus an MTA that switches teams like it's just there. It just they got to work together. You, you don't even have to pay them. Right. <laughs> just yep. tell people where to go. <laughs> yeah. If it's set up and it rotates or whatever. Yeah. 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 So I want to wanted to ask one more question that I think fits into scheduling and I think we're seeing this a little bit with North Dakota State, actually, with the, the young, talented players, especially in their backcourt. But then you've got them now at one and seven. And and I think this plays into scheduling as well. How do you develop young talent and balance it with winning? How would you guys try to do that? And Greg, why don't you take the coach's perspective on this? Because, like, I'll give the players perspective. You give the coach perspective. Because I think I think this is at the heart of what a lot of these teams are dealing with. Well, and Zach, you bring up such a good point. And Todd, I appreciate the question. I, when you guys both presented this to me earlier today, and I thought about it, 
and you sit here and you go, I, I thought about it back when I was coaching where you go, all right, I've got four or five years to develop these guys. And all of a sudden, fast forward, we're in today's environment where you've got a year. And, and, and I mean this the right way. You hope that you've recruited kids who want to be with your program for five, four or five years. But the reality is you have to balance. All right. Am I, am I finding a way to help these young men realize that their importance for the future of our program is real and their minutes early in their career might not necessarily um, translate to what their minutes could be later in their career. And, and you want to help them grow. You want to help them uh, become part of a successful program, part of a successful uh, run, whether it's this year or, or the next two or three years. But I think the window has just changed. And, and I think it comes down to each coach. Do they look at it as though, oh, my gosh, I've got to find a way. I've got a talented young group here. How do I find a way to keep them? Or how do I find a way to challenge them and say, listen, you're not doing a good enough job right now. I'm going to sit you for a while until you figure it out. Now, do you risk sitting a young man for two or three games, you know, minimizing his minutes because he hasn't demonstrated his ability to do the job in practice or in games to this point? And then all of a sudden they become a little bit um, saying, you know what, I'm not getting my fair shake here. I'm going to look somewhere else next year because of the, what the transfer portal presents, all those things. I, I believe it comes down to each coach's individual philosophy. I think they have to, I, I think each coach has to say what's best for the future of my program. And I think all of them want to develop their young players as quickly as they possibly can. They want to do it in a manner where they're not penalizing the young men for, for turnover, careless turnovers or, or not doing a great job defensively or rotating or, or toughening up and keeping people outside the paint. These are, these are individual things that I think coaches are adapting to. And I, my answer is probably much more convoluted than what you guys want, but I think it really comes down to what's your thought process for how can we be, become the best possible team we can be this season and how do I need to do it? And if I need to challenge guys, if you, if you notice today, Dave Richmond, and and, I, and by the way, I don't know if, if Skunberg played at all today for NDSU. I didn't see him in the lineup early. I didn't see him in the box score midway through the game. He may have been injured or sick. But Dave Richmond started three freshmen on the perimeter. And then and then the, the two, you know, experienced bigs inside and then kind of rotated from there. Um, he had the, the senior transfer um, on the bench. He came off and made some shots, things like that. But – these are things that coaches have to feel their way through uh, early on. And then I think they also have to factor in, you know, like, like it or not, the doggone transfer portal, if they're going to risk, um, you know, uh, having guys that aren't happy with their role early. I just think it's a, it's such a, um, uh, a, a, a touch process from a coaching standpoint going, I, I've got to monitor these guys' mentality and also challenge them, find ways to put pressure on them, to ask them to grow as players and contributors, challenge them, toughen them up maybe earlier in their career than I ever had to when I knew I'd have them for two or three years. It, it's a fine balance right now. but And I think Dave Richmond is probably going through it as much as any coach in the league is right now, 
because he, he knows he has some talent. They're young talent. They're freshmen. But he knows they can also be very good. How does he find a way to, to, to bring them along with the maturity of the rest of his team, his core producers? And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's a factor for every team in the Summit League. So thanks for the question, guys. I'm sorry if my, if my answer is convoluted, but it is absolutely a, a coaching decision. It's a feel for your guys. And uh, how can you keep them there, especially if you want to keep them there because you see the potential and their ability to grow as, as big-time contributors in the Summit League? And then well, I thought it was kind of interesting to just kind of break it down like this because, like, literally we could go team by team because, like, every team is kind of dealing with this on some level. I mean, even South Dakota State has a freshman in their starting lineup, you know. And it's pretty much only Oral Roberts that isn't, hasn't really affected at this point. But at one point, you know, they had a freshman Max Asmus and they had to kind of do this dance because what you like kind of at the heart of the situation is like this dance that you have to do with younger players where you're investing playing time in there. You're pushing them along because you see their potential, you see their ceiling, but you're, you're sort of in uncharted waters until that switch flips and you know that they're a competent college basketball player. And if that can happen when they're a freshman and you look at the prospects of having three more years with them, then it's like, wow, then you can do something special. Then you can, you know, you have three years of Max A. Smith. You know what I mean? And how different is that than when the, you know, the, the old way of just having them sit on the bench for two, three years and then start to get a chance when they're juniors and the light comes on and they only have one more year left. Right. So, but that, but the risk is how long does it take for it to happen? Does it ever happen? Do you risk alienating those elite posts at NDSU um, because the the freshmen just can't figure it out? Um, and the reason why this is more timely now is because with everything going on in college basketball, these coaches have no choice but to confront these types of situations that they didn't have to deal with before. They didn't have to deal with this before because those players couldn't go anywhere and they had upperclassmen that have been in the system for how many years and, you know, their job was easier because they didn't have to teach kids and learn kids. Uh, these kids didn't have to learn on the fly and, but they are now. And so it's really fascinating to watch. It's really, I think it really fo- forces these coaches to be much more uh, patient and really tap into their ability to teach than just to sub kids in and out. You know, just because somebody plays bad doesn't mean you can just bench them and forget about them because you're going to eventually need them at some point this year. You know, even it's even happening with, for example, Mitchell Sucker up at UND, right? He's almost didn't play today. And he's been a starter his whole career. And that's just what he's dealing with now. But it's not like, all right, Mitchell, I'm done with you. We're going to forget about you. There's going to come a time in the near future where he's going to play in big minutes and really help the team win. But not now. And I think what's happening is these coaches are having to be more responsive to people that are doing the things the right way, no matter how old they are, to really emphasize and encourage that. Um, but also show that, hey, if you do make a mistake, it's not like your career is over. You know what I mean? You can recover from it and come back. And so it's it's going to be a, a year-long process. It's 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 – Fun for me as a fan and a commentator to be able to watch this. It's got to be really stressful for these coaches, man. Like, yeah. it's just, well, it, it's it's what they have to do, you know? But 
it because the Summit League is almost kind of turning into no man's land. Like those transfers that everybody thinks are going to be available in the transfer portal, they're not exactly making their way to the Summit League. You know, Minnesota's point guard that's a little unhappy isn't transferring to St. Thomas yet. Or, you know, Kansas's point guard that's a little disgruntled isn't transferring to Kansas City yet. You know, like, it's, there's, the Summit League's a couple of runs down and the, the players aren't getting there. So they're having to go this route. And, um, you know, I, I understand that everybody's so hypersensitive about transfers and, and rightfully so. But at the same time, like, you can't necessarily be too scared of it. I mean, you got to coach your guys. You got to you got to put your, the players out there that gives you the best opportunity to win. And whatever happens next year, happens next year. You know, I mean, freshmen can help you win. They can also, you know, if you commit to them too much, you don't hold them accountable, and they can really alienate everybody. And then, then they don't play well, and then the whole situation just kind of spirals on itself, and then your team collapses into itself like a dying star, and now they're a black hole. And now, well, in the Eagle Black, yeah, Stone Age. <laughs> yeah. But but I all but I also want to just it, it's different from the coaching perspective too, and it depends on how each coach handles this. And the reason I say that is because it used to be you could take a freshman and say, "Listen, you're just not ready. I'm going to sit you for two or three games." Yeah. And then and and have you work through it in practice. And in this day and age of the transfer portal, I'll give credit to the coaches who say, "Screw it." I'm still going to sit you for two or three games and until you figure it out in practice, then I can trust you on the floor. But also those same coaches have to deal with the transfer portal. Well, if I sit them for two or three games, do they just check out and say, I'm going somewhere else. And it, and it, and, it, and, and I'll give credit to those coaches to say the heck with it. Screw it. I'm, I've still got to do it the way that I know how to do it. I, I'm one of those people who, if I was still in the profession would probably be that way and pro- would probably pay for it and get fired multiple times over because I didn't keep our talented players and didn't, and didn't give them every opportunity to fail during a game when I knew it was going to hurt us. And so I just think it, I, I just think it's an interesting time and, and to watch there's, we have 10 different teams in the summer league, 10 different levels of the freshman impact, the veteran presence, all these things, how all of these coaches handle it. And does the, does the transfer portal ever even factor into their thinking in the back of their mind? I don't know. I can't even speak to that, but it's going to be an, it, 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 I know it will over the course of time change how coaches treat their young players and, and, and their players that they think can be impact players, even if they're not playing to that impact level early in the season. Well, and the only thing I'll comment on what both of you said, you know, we sit back and go, well, if someone did this or did that, maybe a player would stay or maybe they wouldn't. I don't know that it's even worth coaches worrying about it at at this point. It it certainly didn't change things for North Dakota to have people play a lot. Like, I I, I, I agree. I, I agree. Like, you can't. I don't, I don't think you can coach scared of the portal. Like it doesn't like, cause here's the other thing. I mean, you're right. UND is a pretty good example of that. They've had a lot of players transfer. None of them, none of them have really worked out and it's not because of their talent. They're, they're, they're good players at UND and it hurt UND, but it's like, if a kid's going to be flaky, 
you can't ultimately accomplish that much with them. Like it, you know, it, it can be frustrating and all this stuff and it, it causes more work for you, but it's like, if they're going to flake, go, right? Go, just, just, just leave. If you're thinking about it at all, because guess what? Like they are going to find five players. that do want to play. They are going to find them and they may be some freshmen or whatever, but Paul Sather's won a heck of a lot of games and he's finding his way with players he found who knows where and life goes on, man. And the next thing you know, you're at James Madison and haven't had a meaningful, you haven't played a meaningful play in two years. And yeah, there's some injuries and stuff like that, but your career is over or, you know, you're sitting on the bench wherever. And it's like, you know what? Life goes on without you. You're not the center of the universe as you think you are when you're a recruit. And I hate to say that. And that's coming from a former player, right? Like, well, well it, 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 not, not everybody has somebody around them that can give them proper perspective. And guys, I'm with you on this. And I mean this because like, I, I would probably have erred much more on the side of, you know, if I can't trust you, I'm not going to play. You, I'm not going to worry about you. If you want to leave, go ahead and leave. But it's it's still a different world in which coaches are operating. And I, I still think the coaches will go, well, yeah, I get there's a level of flakiness in this kid, but I also see what he's potential, what he has the potential of, of accomplishing. And I want to help him get to that point, but I can't do it unless I sit him for a game or two. And then you also have to weigh the fact of, well, you know what? If the kid goes, he goes. I, I understand all of that. We also have to look around and, and, and the reality of people, you know, whether it's the media and I don't even, I maybe we're considered the media right now. I, I don't know. I, I hope not, but the media will also sit and criticize coaches for, Oh my gosh, this number of players are leaving. There must be something going on. No, it's a whole different world. So I, I, I think it comes down to each coach and going, you know what, I'm going to do it this way. If I lose them, I lose them. Great. Other coaches are going to say, no, I think there's potential here. I've got to find where I would have sat him for two or three games in the in the past. I'm not going to do it to that extent now, but I'm also still going to challenge him in the same way that I would have, uh, whether I sat him or not. And and so I, it's just a different world right now. But um, it's going to be interesting. And but I will go back to this. And Todd, I'll, I'll steal your thunder. I'll use the great segue that that uh, uh, that Zach just threw out. He threw out James Madison. And James Madison just knocked off South Dakota State, kind of handled them last week. And and uh, I wonder how many people, I wonder what people on the podcast think about that. Great, great transition, Greg. <laughs> the the tough part is we didn't get to see it, but uh, I I did get to see James Madison play a couple of other times. They're good. Yeah. But boy, that second half was rough for South Dakota State. Well, I'm still going to go back to South Dakota State. I still think is one of the most veteran teams in the league. Um, Apple hasn't played much lately. I'm not sure whether it's that if his injuries still bothering him. I still think he's a great post player. Still think South Dakota State's going to be a huge factor in the summer league race. And as as you alluded to, um, Todd James Madison is a very good team. Friedel, I think, had 13. In the game against South, in the in the win against South Dakota State, um, that's done. That's over. That's uh, that's history now for South Dakota State. It really doesn't impact what South Dakota State's going to be able to do in the summer league. 
still believe they're going to be a huge factor in this race uh, moving forward. Yeah. The only yeah, Boise, go ahead. Boise State's a good team. They beat Boise State. They're down to 68 in Ken Palm now. Um, so sometimes we get a little hyper focused on what happened right in front of us. Um, so just to your I, point, Greg. And I hope people don't take the fact that we don't talk about Oral Roberts a lot or South Dakota State a lot as like we don't respect them or they're not as interesting or whatever. Like really the only time that I'm not going to be confident in South Dakota State and Oral Roberts at this point is if they have injuries. That's about like I I'm not really going to get caught up in what they do in the non-conference because like I I'm confident that they're going to be on schedule once the uh, the conference season rolls around uh, at this point. No, there, there's definitely more to analyze on other uh, programs because there's way more questions, quite honestly, out there. And so it's like last year when we said we were kind of bemoaning the fact, ah, this year's kind of boring. It's like that's about the highest compliment we can pay a program is that they controlled the whole season and made the whole thing boring. You know what I mean? So I hope people understand that and don't take it the wrong way. You know, they're on track. As long as they stay healthy, they're going to be just fine, and they're going to be right there at the end. Well, and I will say, Zach, I I think there's a there's a dip from last year for South Dakota State. They're sure. they're they're not yeah. as good. Um, they're not as high end talent good as they were last year. There's but they're still going to be up there. It's mm-hmm. to me, it's still between them and Oral Roberts for the for the conference championship until I see otherwise, and. But I I think the one thing that is important for this non-conference is we would prefer the team that comes out of the conference to not have to play in the play-in game or have, you know, to, to be a little bit higher seeded. That's where I, I focus for South Dakota State and Oral Roberts is the two teams that I think are a, a tier in, their, in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, it's 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 just hard with the with the schedules the way they are. I mean, losing to Stephen F. Austin is not a good loss for South Dakota State. Mm-hmm. Um, but and losing to James Madison the way they did, but then you balance that out with the Boise State win, um, with the win against the MAC team that I'm forgetting who it was at the beginning of the year. And that, but they've got a few opportunities coming up here to kind of prove they're still between that 100 and 150 Ken Palm type team. Yeah, I, I just think that South Dakota state is just very um, uniquely suited to, to navigate the conference season and that they're extremely consistent. They're going to be way, they're going to be the most consistent team this year by far. Well, let's, let's chat or Roberts just a little bit. We talked about their schedule already. Um, and, and I don't have a ton to add on them. Beyond the schedule, they do have Tulsa coming up, which is weird because they could be six and three with that tough strength of schedule playing four of those wins being against non D ones. They did play St. Mary's and Utah State pretty tough. Both are top 50 Ken Palm teams, St. Mary's at 24. Um, And my one point that I'll make about them is this is all with Max Asmus averaging 15 points and shooting 28% from three. There's a correction coming in my opinion if they can defend consistently. Well, they are. I mean, they, they are going to be, they're going to be there. Um, their, their talent level is probably as good as anybody, if not better than anybody's in the league. 
Um, the, the one thing that I, I do think, you know, Ace Miss maybe not shooting at the percentage that we, everybody expects him to, things like that. But McBride, I think, is playing at a really high level right now. You look at his assistant turnover ratio, he's, he, he's scoring the ball well. Um, McBride is, is an underrated player. I, I, I think he has a great potential to be a first team all leaguer. And when you combine that with Ace Miss and his ability, his upside, because his numbers aren't great right now. Oral Roberts, of course, is going to be a factor in this race. And guard play, um, we've talked about guard play how much. I mean, North Dakota State's inexperienced guard play. Um, we've talked about USD and their complement of, 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 of depth when it comes to perimeter play. The top-end guard play in, in, in the Summit League right now sits down in Oral Roberts. And I, I say that with great respect to South Dakota State's depth in the perimeter and also USD's depth in the perimeter, and everybody else trying to develop their perimeter game. Uh, and even Riley Miller, who's one, the, one of the best three-point shooters in the country right now. Um, uh, I, I think that, that has a, that's kind of the, the rudder that drives the ship that is ORU. And how can everything else come alongside them and, 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 uh, and complement their play? So, I, I think, you know, we talk about Ace Miss maybe performing at a level that we're not used to seeing him perform at, but McBride is playing at a high level right now, and I think he played at a very high level last year, and he did it all in the shadow of Max Ace Miss. So ORU is, is well-equipped to certainly compete for the title, and we'll see how they finish out the non-conference season, and, and, uh, but it's also the challenge for every other, team, every other team in the league to say, how do we match up with them? Um, we may not be able to exceed their perimeter level play, but at the same time, can we match it? And then can we find a way to beat them in other positions? So, um, or are you playing well right now? I think we're always watching their level of defensive play. I, you know, that their level yeah. of offensive play, their guard play, their level of talent, that's never been in question. That's never been a reason why they've lost, right? You know, we know, we know what this comes down to for them in the Summit League tournament. And so, you know, the sooner they get more accustomed to doing that night in and night out, the sooner that the more confident that we can be uh, in Sioux Falls with them. So, you know, that's really what they have it narrowed down to. That's what great teams do. They have things narrowed down to like one or two things that they're really focusing on. And, you know, whether they're on track or not, it's more obvious when you have 10 things that you're working on, then it becomes more difficult to really identify progress. Um, but with them, you know, uh, I, I think they got the big kid assimilated pretty quite well. You know, I they look really good. They look really good. They're probably better than they ever have, quite honestly. Um, so it's got to be really encouraging for them. You know, I think they're accomplishing what they want to uh, in this non-conference season, which, you know, I it which is having a good strength of schedule. That, that's that's their number one focus. And so they're doing that. And so um, they must feel good about it, too. So, so Greg, you brought up something that I think would be interesting to talk about. You've talked about guard play and experienced guard play quite a bit on the podcast. And, and we've got two teams that that I think give this an interesting comparison. So you've got Kansas City that is almost all freshmen except for Raquandis Mitchell and Shamari Allen in the backcourt. Then you've got North Dakota State with a bunch of youth in the backcourt and some veteran frontcourt players. 
it's probably not as simple as to say that's what might be contributing to some of the struggles at North Dakota State and maybe some surprises with Kansas City. But if you could choose, and it's not this simple, is the backcourt where you want that experience, even if you have to surround them with, with some youth somewhere else? Todd, 100%. The value of, of, of experienced guard play is, from my standpoint, it's it's absolutely necessary. And I've always said this, and I know I'm, I'm one of the more, I'm one of the more, I don't know, dumb, you know, college basketball analysts, but I've always said good guard play can take average post play and make it look good. Um, if you have poor perimeter play, poor, poor guard play, they can take really good bigs and make them look very average because they don't get them the ball at the right place. They don't get them the ball at the right time. Uh, you, you, you take experienced perimeter play. They can make average bigs look really good. They can lead them into scoring opportunities with the way they deliver the ball, with the, with the timing uh, of, of entry passes and things along those lines. I, I, I just I can't emphasize the, you know, the importance of quality guard play, experienced guard play enough. And, and when you look at Kansas City, as you mentioned, Todd, they've got some quality wins. They knocked off an Indiana State team when North Dakota State got handled by Indiana State. Granted, it was down in Terre Haute, but, um, but, but, but those things factor in and those things aren't coincidences. Um, if you have good guard play, people that can take care of the ball, people that don't turn it over, people that get you extra possessions, and then when you do get those extra possessions, you find a way to get higher percentage shots off of those possessions, those things all add up. It's an additive effect. And so, you know, what coaches do the best job of taking inexperienced perimeters and turning them into confident players? They don't have to be great players by the end of the year, but are they confident players? Are they players that that are efficient with their movement, efficient with their, you know, uh, handling of the ball. They don't over dribble. They don't dribble themselves out of quality possessions, things along those lines. It's absolutely invaluable, but that's just this guy's opinion. I, I've, I've said that for, for many years and I've experienced it as a coach. I've watched it as an analyst, you know, when you have quality perimeter play, and that's one of the reasons I say, I don't think South Dakota State's out of this equation because you, when you look at their experience that they have in their backcourt and their decision-making ability, when you look at USD's ability to potentially be a quality team in this league, um, uh, I, I think that matters. When you look at ORU, for goodness sakes, Aismas and, and McBride are as good as anybody, I still think those are the teams we're going to be talking about when it comes down to a championship-type run in the regular season uh, for the Summit League. I'll put it this way. I'd much rather have a senior point guard and shooting guard and a freshman small forward, power forward and center rather than a senior shooting guard. Or I mean, small forward, power forward, center, and then a freshman uh, point guard or shooting guard. Um, I may even take I may even go as far as to say I would rather have a senior point guard who's played college basketball for four years, uh, played a lot of minutes uh, and four other freshmen around them rather than four seniors with a freshman point guard, two freshman mm-hmm. point guards. I would even go that far. Um, it's yeah. just that, it, I mean, if there's a, a, a position to hit the portal, it's that position. Problem is everybody wants them. Right. So right. like, That's true. you know, I know there's some teams in the conference that tried to and, and couldn't find their smart Allen, you know? So it's, 
I, I really like what Kansas City did in year one here. I, I think it was really smart. Um, and uh, my guess is it'll probably jumpstart their their rebuild that they're doing with this roster. I mean, so much was talked about the freshmen, and we didn't probably talk about these senior guards as much, but they're going to be probably some of the most important players in this entire conference. Well, and we shouldn't underestimate. They beat Toledo and Indiana State on back-to-back days. Right. Toledo 101 in, in Ken Palm, and Indiana State, we saw what they did against North Dakota State, 134 in Ken Palm, two quality teams, which so maybe the most impressive two-game stretch for any Summit League team so far. Yeah, two of the, what, like four or five sub-200 Ken Palm wins in the league on back-to-back days. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Alan Mukeba, the, the freshman big, whew, He's loaded with talent. If if it comes together for him, uh, look yeah. out. He's he's a talented 6'10", 6'9". Yeah, talented. Yeah, pro- probably more a matter of if, not when. Yeah. Or when, not if, I should say. There when, not if. Yeah. 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 And I just want to take the conversation you guys started, and, and, and I think we've all kind of talked about this, you know, quality perimeter play. Uh, let's take it back to, you know, the games that, that Zach did this weekend. Uh, as UND wins a couple of home games against Utah Tech and Cal State Fullerton. And let's not ignore what what it took for them to win. They got they got pretty doggone good perimeter play. And it was Paul Sather looking at some people that hadn't played a, a lot and then all of a sudden saying, hey, you know, a young man who played well against Stout, a Division three school, but said he earned it. Then he comes out and plays well against Utah Tech. I thought he played pretty well today. Um, the, the, the decision makers, the guys who, who move the ball on the perimeter, the guys who move well or and or smart without the ball on the perimeter and then allow their bigs to be more effective. Um, UND played well, and, and as, as much as that impacted the game on the offensive side of the ball, I think UND's uh, improvement – and, and, and their ability to win a couple of games this weekend really came on the defensive end. I thought they, they really found a way to protect the paint a little bit. They really found a way to, to toughen up and, and, uh, and get after it defensively. And I, um, as much as we talk about what it's going to take to be successful in the Summit League, on the offensive side, uh, you guys know I'm this boring old curmudgeon that really believes on, on the defensive side of the ball. But I thought UND you know, toughened up and really got better especially in the game today against Fullerton, they got much better from the first half to the second half. And that's what allowed them to win their second of two games against, uh, you know, in that multi-team event. It's just a really interesting situation because you see a lot of progress happening, but it's, it's certainly not linear and it's certainly not with the same players, but it's like collectively, you know, everybody's kind of stepping up and they're just kind of inching their way forward. It's really interesting. You're right. Johnny Levias basically out of the rotation was hurt last year out of rotation. They, they put him out there. You know, he doesn't necessarily do anything spectacular other than playing with poise and just making mm-hmm. the right play. Same thing with Brady Danielson, two guys out there and look at how far it takes him. I mean, what, what Brady Danielson's doing right now, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's not like he's beating guys off the dribble or something like that. He's cutting to the open area. He's waiting for his defender to turn their heads and then cutting to the front of the rim you know, things like that and playing really good defense and grabbing some rebounds. And it's going a long way. It's going a long way. And, and you're right. They were really good defensively. I came away from the U- Utah tech game and I'm like, are they really that solid defensively? I, right. I think they are. They played that well. And then today it was really the same thing. I mean, that Cal state Fullerton team, 
they handled uh, Pacific that beat both UND and NDSU pretty handily. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, that was sort of, you know, how it all came full circle. So uh, really interesting, but a, a really good, really important couple of days for UND here. Now they have to, they have a, to go on the road here, a pay game at, at Iowa state uh, who just knocked off UNC actually, but <laughs> yeah, but so they have fun with that a little revenge game there, but um, no, just really good to see it. And I mean, it's a perfect example of like kind of what we we're talking about to bring a full circle to our conversation before about, you know, freshmen and the transfer portal and stuff like that. Like there's been several times where, you know, sometimes the freshmen step up and sometimes they don't, and then they'll be out for a game and then they'll be back in the next game. But you don't, you can't just bury somebody and, and throw them away and forget about them. You got to bring them back. You can't just light them up and embarrass them in front of, you know, the whole crowd. You got to stick with them and, and keep finding ways to put them in situations where they can get some confidence and it's happening for UND. And some of these guys are slowly becoming a little bit more comfortable out there. And Jalen Trent today, I thought probably played his most aggressive. And usually when you're aggressive and confident, it's because the game's slowing down because you've been trusted with some playing time. And so um, it's really just, you know, kind of inching your way through this, really trying to feel it out. And I think it's forcing these coaches to have a lot of, good conversations with the players, which I view uh, is a very positive thing. And obviously the UND coaching staff has always been good about that, but um, big weekend for them. They, they're, they're getting what they needed out of, they're seeing what they need out of their team. It's just a question of where they go. Right. Cause I mean, even UND has a lot of things that they could do a lot better. And so that's, what's fun, you know, beating two teams by 15, but still having a lot of things to get better at. And uh, so that's what makes it so interesting. So I'm, Going to try to throw out a bunch of notes at you guys, and then you just go off of that because we're running low on time, and I don't want to miss on some of the things that are important to talk about. One thing that I do want to mention, Greg, you had mentioned Bowden Scunberg on the uh, radio broadcast. They did say he was dealing with a hand injury, so that was why he was out today, just as a as a note there. And then yeah. the only other thing I'll say on the on my earlier comment about the transfer reporter where I would say let's not worry about it I don't even mean like just just forget that guy if he's gonna leave but I think North Dakota is a perfect example of that four guys were playing major minutes that didn't start earlier in the year like I think it's just playing the guys that are playing the best and you at the end of the year you worry about who's going where and So let me throw out a couple of notes here just on some teams we haven't talked about. South Dakota uh, lost one against LIU and then lost a couple of games against a good Sam Houston team in in, uh, 200 or so Ken Palm, Coastal Carolina, but it was at Coastal Carolina. A couple of good notes for them. Cruz Perilhunt, who had been really struggling shooting, really found his his stroke in the second half against Coastal Carolina. So maybe – uh, sign of good things to come there. And then Mihai Korkoana had 13 or 14 points in that Coastal Carolina game, and they need somebody to step up in their front court. Um, other teams with some notes, St. Thomas with a nice win against Troy that I don't want us to forget about. Parker Bjorkland hasn't played in a couple of games now. And Courtney Brown, who a uh, Milwaukee transfer from last year, finally, finally made his debut for St. Thomas. So it was nice to see him out there. Omaha won their MTE, which with a nice win over Southern, which is a low 200 Ken Palm team. And JJ White is one of those guys. We talk guards, guard play a lot. Uh, take a chance and and watch JJ White play point guard because uh, junior college transfer, good player. Also Luke Jungers with 17 off the bench against Southern. 
and Trent Master missed the last 28 minutes or so against Youngstown State. I, I think it's a concussion he's dealing with. I, I hope that's not something that continues to plague him the rest of the year because I we talked about this, Zach and I, last week, but there may not be a player more important to his team. And just to emphasize that, they were leading 29-23 when he went out against Youngstown, and Youngstown then went on a 28-2 run after Trent Masner left. Well, Todd, just a couple of points to your comments. Uh, USD is going to be a very good summer league team. They're going to be a very good summer league team. And if they can develop some, some depth, um, you know, in, you know, in, in their post area, let, let's, we all know how good their perimeter group is. They're going to be a very good summer league team, a team that is capable of beating anybody on any given night. And I think USD fans believe they're a top two or three team in the league. And, you know, uh, until things play out, um, I, I don't disagree with them. They're, they're very capable of that. The second thing is, as you mentioned, um, and this is a small, this is a, a very small sample size. It's a one game situation. When you look at when Masner goes out and they get outscored 28 to two, I'm, I'm sorry, that's a concern. Uh, Western Illinois, Rob Jeter's shown that he can find a way to put talent together and be successful. Uh, but they've got a lot of work to do. And, 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 uh, Masner is still a huge impact player in this league, but he's got to be able to be on the floor. And if he's on the floor, then Western Illinois is certainly going to be a factor. Um, outside of that, yeah, still a lot of other things that 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 this league is going to figure out here um, as we come to the close of non-conference play and get into summer league play. Did we hear why AJ Pitzelwhite didn't play? He was in street clothes last game, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm, he, I'm but... pretty sure. He banged knees the the game before that, and, oh, and it, it was the I from what I understand it was the knee that was hurt, but oh, doesn't sound like it's something super serious, at okay. least from the whispers that I'm hearing. So more precautionary than anything, as far as you that's can tell. as far as yeah. I can tell, and yeah, it wasn't anything major. I'd again, I was watching the game and I know nothing about this, but I'm more concerned with Tevin Smith, uh, non-contact. Yeah. went down um yeah. he was able to walk off but uh but sometimes even with some some knee tear yeah. things you can walk off and yeah right yeah walking off doesn't mean much necessarily no yeah you're right let, let's be honest we all want tevin smith and aj Flitzway to play in the summer league i mean we yes, we, we want them yep and the summer league's better for them we're all better for that and as always if you guys have uh you know, any of the listeners out there have any news and notes, or if we don't have something quite right on some of these injuries, please uh, tweet at us uh, to make sure that we're we're accurate with this stuff. Nothing's nothing's worse than saying oh, a player was benched or whatever. You know, yeah. if we don't if we don't have the story quite right. Yeah, always trying to get it right, and and frankly, sometimes I get information that I don't share publicly because I'm just not sure yeah. on the validity of it, and and so I certainly I would rather not information be shared than to yep. be first one to say it or anything like that. But I'm also, we're more than willing to get the right information out there. We would love to. So. Yeah. There's sometimes we don't say anything intentionally yeah, just because yeah. it's, it hasn't been sorted out or it's just not our place to say something or whatnot. So just to kind of put that out there too. Yeah. There, yeah. There's times I've shared stuff with you guys that doesn't, doesn't end up being exactly accurate. And mm -hmm. so that's why I try to be a little bit careful. If it comes more mm -hmm. officially, even if it's off the record, but official, I, I, I'm more than willing to share it, but not, yeah, not otherwise. Mm -hmm. 
That's the right well, way to do it, guys. I love visiting with you again tonight. Yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna get back to doing some interviews. It's just so hard. I mean, oh, I felt like we didn't get everything out, and I I feel bad because I sometimes hear from people that their team didn't get talked about as much as others. St. Thomas, your crew, that we have a, a plenty of loyal listeners. It's not on purpose. I try to move teams to the top of the the order that weren't on the top before. It just sometimes there's things that become more of a talker, so it's 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 tough. Well, I'll just tell tell this to your St. Thomas listeners. As I watched them in the preseason, one of the best coach teams in the league, and that's not a slight to any other coach. I think the Summit League has a slate of some of the strongest coaches in the country. I love them, and but St. Thomas is so good. Uh, when you watch them play their opponents and their ability to, to uh, um, I think, and, and I think Zach talks about this in his broadcast a ton, you watch St. Thomas and how they are good at, at, at game planning and scouting report in, in the manner in which they play. Uh, they're a difficult team to defend. They're an extremely offensively talented team. Um, St. Thomas fans have a lot to look forward to this season. And uh, I'm sure I underestimated their win total. I still hate the fact that I threw out that stupid standings. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, they're, they're going to be a, a heck of a team. But I will also, also say this. I thought about this tonight before we went on the air. I go back to the addition of St. Thomas in the league is a benefit to everybody in the league, in my opinion, especially the, the northern half of the Summit League, the North Dakota and the South Coast schools. Uh, their ability to get into the, into the Twin Cities area from a recruiting standpoint, I know they've been there. They've had a presence there in the past. I think it expands with the addition of St. Thomas. It only makes the league better. Yeah, and I, we I just realized everybody better take a screenshot of Greg's picks before he no, deletes the tweet. Knock it off. Uh, <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I don't know why you're encouraging me. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> any, any closing thoughts, Zach? Well, I mean, you know, St. Thomas, they're they're a lot of fun. They're they're a lot of you know. This is a bat the bat. This is, I've always said this. This is a basketball junkies conference, right? High skill level you know, good attention to detail. And they're like the personification of that. You know what I mean? They, they fit like a glove yeah. right in there. And so it's just fun to watch them sort of go through this process and it's doing something that's really unprecedented. And, you know, nobody's looking at them like they're an easy win. That, that's for certain. And I think everybody's understanding what they can do and, and how much they've accomplished even so much this year um, with a lot of the same players from last year. So just incredibly Im- impressive what they're doing. And, um, you know, it, it's just going to be another storyline that we add to this year uh, amongst a, a number of other ones. And just so you guys know, I will not delete that tweet. I will take the beatings <laughs> online that I deserve. I am totally fine with that. The good news is it's all three of us. Greg. It's not just <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're, they're, I've gotten saved on websites and such. So yeah, but I, I, the, the good news is we, I mean, I'll speak for myself. Like when we don't talk about a team as much as others, it's not on purpose. No. I, I, I like, I'm a fan of every team in the league. And that's why I like this part of the season, the bet. Well, not the best, but I like this part of the season because I get to kind of root on everybody. Um, I, I, I'm never picking because there's a team I like more than the others or anything like that. I, I came into this thing a few years ago without an allegiance to anybody. So, yeah. 
But all right. Well, I, you know, we're closing in on an hour, so I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, just never enough time to, to get through everything, but that's okay. It, that, that means there's more for next week. Uh, so we'll go from there. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.